Uh, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 today. We're still working our way through this difficult chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Have you ever known anybody who has watched television, they're so fixated on the television show that they are oblivious to everything else around them? They're just tunneled in there, they're zeroed in there. You can't talk to them, they won't listen to you. Uh, they, they couldn't hear you. It's a good time to ask them questions you want answers to, but uh, your way, but um, uh, maybe you're that person. You know, and that's not a good thing, I don't think, but uh, wouldn't it be great if we were that fixated on, on Jesus Christ? And our lives would be such as we sang this morning in so many songs already that um, everything else in life is secondary, that all we need is Christ and that everything else is, is of, uh, of minor significance in comparison. What if all of our decisions and, and all of our perspectives on life were framed around the supremacy of Jesus Christ? Uh, what if uh, all of our heartbreaks and all of our joys and all of our disappointments and all of our successes were, were framed through the person of Jesus Christ and His supremacy and His goodness, as was sung this morning. When all the dust is settled, this very difficult chapter that we're working our way through, uh, and we're looking at all the nooks and the crannies of this particular chapter, and it's hard, it's some hard stuff here, but if we pull back far enough, we look at the big picture of what is being said, I think we get the picture of a Christian life that should be fixated on Christ. He was writing to a group of people that were distracted from the things of Christ, as we often are in our world today. They were distracted in this chapter alone concerning marital issues. They were distracted concerning religious traditions and, and rituals. They were distracted in relationship to social economic status. And uh, Paul is writing about these things. He's dealing with those things. And he's saying, let's not get fixated on those things. Let not our thoughts and our attentions and our lives all wrap around those kinds of things. Instead, let our, let our thoughts and our attention and our fixation be wrapped around the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what he's saying. That's what in every aspect, I think, here at this time. The circumstances of their life had, had sidetracked them uh, from their simplicity in Christ, from their single-mindedness in Christ. And that is true of us, right? The circumstances of life, the situations that we face, the issues of life, distract us from that which is truly supreme, which is Christ himself. Paul is concerned about that as he writes through. Now, he's going to be talking today about a particular issue that they had written to him about. So this chapter 7 is largely in response. Matter of fact, chapter 7 to the end of the book starting with, with right at the very first of the chapter, is Paul responding to questions that they had asked. So they had brought questions to him, and he was answering them, and now he's going to start answering one uh, in verse 25, where he says, now concerning virgins. And he is going to deal with an issue there that they have asked him about. And so that's the framework of what he's working with here, and Paul is going to unravel all that in, in this text we'll look at today. We'll start with verse 24. We'll back up to verse 24 and look at the overall prescription uh, to the problems that they're facing. Verse 24 says this, Brethren, each one is to remain with God in the condition to which he was called. Uh, we've already seen this church is very confused about marriage. Uh, in the first, chap uh, first verses, they're, uh, well, going back to chapter 6, actually, uh, we find that this church uh, had men that were going down to the temples 
to visit the temple prostitutes. These are Christian men. Uh, they did that because the culture uh, saw that as acceptable. They, had, they were early new Christians. They continued down that vein. They didn't see any problem with it based upon the, the philosophies in their world around them. And Paul straightened them out with that one. So that was one of the issues. In chapter 7, we find some went too far the other way. And we're saying, look, uh, you should be uh, abstinent in marriage. You, you should have no relationships in marriage whatsoever. And so they were going to the opposite extreme with that. And now we have an issue about uh, what he calls virgins here. We'll get to that in a moment. But he's looking at unmarried women and what should happen concerning them getting married. That's his issue now. So all, this is, all these issues wrapped around marriage is a big deal in this particular chapter. What are we going to do with that? And to make things more difficult, verse 26, it says something about a present distress. So there, this, this church is undergoing some kind of, of a distress, a, a turmoil. And we're not told what that is. Uh, most likely, however, it is a particular distress for the Christians. So probably they were under persecution. Uh, and that happened periodically in those early years, first two or three centuries uh, of Christianity where there would be these waves of persecution that go through various areas uh, for those who are following Christ. So most likely they're battling a persecution uh, in that at this particular time. And so Paul's writing about this issue of marriage under that uh, rubric of persecution and distress. So what is he going to tell them? Uh, perhaps it would help our mindset if we would imagine ourselves right now at this present time in history being citizens of Afghanistan, what if we were Christians living in Afghanistan right now? With all the collapse of the government, with the Taliban taking over, with the persecutions that are there of all sorts of people, anybody who had ever been supportive of America is under fire. The church itself and Christians, anybody who stood out as a Christian in the past is going to be facing a persecution, possibly death as the Taliban goes door to door, any church that has been established also could be facing that very kind of thing. So that's, put yourself in that framework. What if you were there, Christian in Afghanistan today, and you had people in your family, uh, young ladies in particular he's talking about here, who want to get married. Perhaps they've already had the wedding planned before everything fell apart. They were looking forward to getting married, and now all this has happened. What would be your advice to a young couple wanting to get married in that situation right now? That might give you a little bit of framework for what Paul is trying to tell them here. For the third time, here's what Paul has told them. Verse 17, verse 20, now verse 24, he said the same thing. Look at verse 17. Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this matter let him walk. Stay in the situation that you're in. Go down to verse 20. He says, each man must remain in the condition in which he was called. And now in verse 24, brethren, each one is to remain with God in the condition in which he was called. So they're in this great period of distress. And he's telling them, listen, right now, under this particular circumstance, you need to stay in the condition to which you were called when, you, when which you came to Christ. So that's his big picture. That's the main thing that he's telling them here. There's one difference in verse 24 from the other two verses. And that is the little prepositional phrase, with God. 
And I want to zero in on that for just a moment because this is extremely important with God in that condition. They're, they were going through a very tough time. Uh, they were off balanced. They were confused. They were anxious. Now we can get a picture of that as well. The last 18 months or so in America and around the world with the coronavirus, uh, it caught us off guard. Nobody was ready for this. Uh, no, nobody knew what to do with this. And so we were caught off guard. We are in a situation where we're confused. Many people are depressed. Many people are anxious. And so we can understand some of the things that some of these people might be going through here. And he says to them, he wants them to realize that God is so near to us that we are perpetually in his presence and in his favor. Whatever the circumstances that they're facing, they are not alone. They have not been abandoned by God. And I think it's important for us to note here. We have not been abandoned by God. To stay in the condition with God that you've been in. I think this is a real concern for many believers. When we're going through the crucibles of life, the most difficult times of our life, when things are falling apart in our world, in our families, in our health, in, in whatever, and we're really going through these difficult furnaces of trial, there is the temptation to say, even among the best of us, where is God? Has he abandoned me? Why has he let me go through this? Why has he brought this into my life? What is this all about? And I think that's very common for people to do that and to question God, question God's goodness, to question God's love, to question God's favor in our lives. And it's a more of a legitimate concern perhaps for some who have gone through difficult times and been abandoned by people where much of their life they found people walking away from them and abandoning them. Uh, about 30 years ago in a Kansas newspaper, uh, someone put an ad in the paper and said this, I will listen to you talk for 30 minutes without comment for $5. He was inundated with phone calls. People that wanted to that just have somebody to listen to them for 5 bucks. Sounded like a pretty good deal. I think he raised his price after that. At least he probably ought to, because he was getting all sorts of calls constantly about those kinds of things. Now, if people will feel abandoned at times. Um, and he's saying here, look, in this distressful situation, I want you to know that God is with you. No matter how you feel, no matter what's going on in your life, God is with you. And stay in that condition with him. I think of a song I mentioned not too long ago, and I wonder the circumstances of that. I always, I always enjoy knowing the circumstances of why a song was written, such as one that uh, Chris Anderson wrote that was sung this morning. Uh, some years ago, a guy wrote this song. I wonder what he was going through at the time of loneliness. He said, I've seen the lightning flashing. I've heard the thunder roll. I felt sin's breakers dashing, trying to conquer my soul. I've heard the voice of Jesus telling me still to fight on. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. No, never alone. No, never alone. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. No, never alone. No, never alone. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. And now, when you feel alone, and you feel as if somehow you, uh, you have been abandoned by somebody somewhere, 
and you might be abandoned by God, that kind of, that kind of verse of scripture kind of passage is very important to us. So Paul's point is this, as you're traveling through life, sometimes you're traveling through very difficult circumstances. Other times you're traveling through life and there's not much going on. But whichever that might be, you're traveling with God. And so our overall overarching uh, issue, our overall arching ambition of life should not be ways to escape from life. It should not be thinking that we should be changing all of our circumstances. Our overarching thing should be that we are following the Lord Jesus Christ and knowing that he is with us. Now with that in mind, Paul is going to move on to the issue of marriage and give us an example. So here we go with verse 25. He says, Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. There's two issues here that we have to look at. Who, are, who is he talking about? Who are these virgins that he's talking about? And that's, that's a difficult thing. If you look down to uh, a little later on in the chapter, if you have a New American Standard like I do, verses 36, 37, and 38, the word daughters is placed in the text. But it's in italics. So that means it wasn't in the Greek. So it simply says virgins, and the, the translators of the New American Standard are trying to help us understand it better, and so they've added daughters. But that may not be the case. The ESV, for example, translated the betrothed, or people engaged to be married. And I think that's probably the better case here. I don't, I, in ancient times, the fathers usually arranged the marriage for their children. So that's why the New American Standard has added that. But at the same time, it doesn't necessarily mean talking about that. It could simply be those who are betrothed, uh, those who are uh, looking to get married soon. He says, what are we going to do about people like that? So that's one of the issues. I think this is, these then are, are women, uh, young women of marrying age who are betrothed, are ready to get married, and yet they're in this great distress. Now the second thing is, Paul says, I have no command of the Lord. And some people have gone berserk on that, pass, on that phrase. Is this not part of inspired scripture? Is this one of those places where Paul went off script and it wasn't part of God's inspired, God-breathed text? No. Now what scripture tells us that all scripture is inspired of God. All scripture is breathed by God. All Paul is saying in, verse, in this verse is that I have, Jesus never addressed this issue. Up in verse 10, if you go back up there, but to the married I give instructions, not I but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. There he says, the Lord has given instructions, and so I really don't need to say much about it. But now in this particular verse 25, he is saying, the Lord never addressed this. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I will. And so that's what he's doing in this verse. So there's not a big deal if you understand it that way. Now, look at what he's saying, verse 26. I think then that it's good in view of our, the present distress that it's good for a man to remain as he is. He says, I think it's right now at this point good, given the conditions of, our, of the world they were living in, that they stay in the marital condition that they were in. Were they single? Stay single. Were they married? Stays married. Verse 27. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. The same idea. 
stay in the marital condition that you are in at this time. Verse 28, but if you marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. He's not laying down, he says, a universal, timeless rule. He says, if you marry, you've not sinned. It's up to you what you want to do. I'm giving you my opinion on the basis of the circumstances that you're going through right now. Now, I want to say this. Paul is not depreciating marriage by any means. Uh, marriage is a, is a gift of God. Marriage is something God created. Marriage is something that throughout Scripture is, is highly elevated and honored. Uh, the book of Ephesians chapter 5 deal with it, and Colossians chapter 3 and so forth. We have all these passages of Scripture dealing with, with the greatness, the glory, the wonder of what God has given us, one of the greatest gifts He's ever given in marriage. He's not depreciating, nor is He elevating singleness. He's not saying everybody ought to stay single. He'd already dealt with that and said, if you have that gift, then it's great. If not, then you probably should get married. But what I think was going on in this church, if we could read between the lines a little bit, was a lot of complaining. Uh, these people were saying, you know, I could serve God if only I was married. But I can't serve God unmarried. Others were saying, I could serve God if only I was married to someone else. Uh, this woman I've married, this man I've married, they're not the right one. I need somebody better, somebody more holy or something. Or they might have been saying, I'm divorced or widowed, and I can, I, could, I can serve God if only I was remarried. But until then, there's not a whole lot I can do. And Paul is saying to all of that, that's hogwash, basically. These are excuses, he says. If you're not walking with God now, in whatever circumstance you are in, you wouldn't walk with God if you had different circumstances. That's his key takeaway here. These are handy excuses, but they don't hold water. I like the little ditty that said, I, I am happy. I have learned the lesson. This has taught that everything I do that's wrong is someone else's fault. Well, once you begin to develop that mentality, then you know, don't make progress in life, in anything, and especially in the Christian life. Each person is going to give an account to God for their own life. Nobody's going to stand before God and say, if only I was married to somebody else. If only I was married. If only I wasn't married. Nobody's going to say that. We will each give an account to the Lord for our life. Now, I want to say this. Who you are married to may affect your outward ministry for the Lord. If you're married to an unbeliever or you're married to a Christian who is not walking well with the Lord and doesn't care much about the things of God, uh, then your outward ministry may be truncated to some degree. It may, there, there might be some hindrances to it. But it does not affect your walk with God. It does not affect who you are in Him. It does not affect your worship of Him. You can live with Him in the worst of circumstances, and in the best of circumstances. Now I want to go to verse 29 and look at some timeless principles. He's talking about some present circumstances. Now he talks about some timeless principles. Verse 29. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they have none. And those who weep as though they did not weep. 
And those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away. Let's take a look at some timeless principles. First of all, life is short. Verse 31 says that. He says in verse 29, the time has been shortened. But verse 31 in particular, the form of this world is passing away. Life is transitory. Uh, life is short. Uh, hold, hold to the things of this life loosely. We tend to hold too tight. Uh, this week, uh, just a couple days ago, I had my first experience of somebody I personally knew who had died of the coronavirus. Now, I've known of a lot of people that have passed away, but they weren't people I truly knew. But I, I had a friend of mine, a pastor, a minister, who uh, has a ministry of apologetic ministry, a teaching ministry. Uh, he travels all over the world, all over the country, teaching uh, scripture, teaching theology, uh, doing apologetics. He's, uh, he does this in Africa. He does it in Europe. Uh, he does it uh, in the United States. A very fine man, several years younger than myself. And uh, on Facebook, I, I got a, a message. This, this is one of the good things about Facebook. You can catch up on people who wouldn't normally know what's going on. And he put out a message a couple, about three weeks ago, said, uh, uh, I'm, I'm getting worse with the coronavirus. My wife and I both have it. I'm getting worse. I may have to go in the hospital. But he said, uh, 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 we're, gonna, we're in the process of moving from Indiana to Iowa. And when we get there, we're going to remodel the house. And then uh, he laid out his whole schedule for the next year where he's traveling to minister the word throughout all the world. Just all sorts of places and schedules and stuff and things that he was doing. So his, his thought was, of course, he would get better and he would go on and do that. Day by day, I checked the Facebook account to see how he was doing and things weren't looking good and it kept getting worse and then a couple days ago he died. As a matter of fact, in seven minutes, they're starting his funeral service at the church he's been at for 20 or 30 years as a, uh, as a, a member and an elder there over in Paris, Illinois, I believe. And this man is a, a good man. Now, what, what, there's two things I took away from that. Number one, he had his whole world planned out, but God had different plans. Life is short. Life is transitory. You can't hang on to the, the things of this life. But the second thing is he served Christ to the very end. To the, very, to the very moments that the Lord took him, uh, he had planned to serve Christ as soon as he got well. Isn't that the way it ought to be? I, I, I don't know what the Lord has in mind for my life. I don't know long, how long I'm here. I don't know how long I can do what I'm doing, but I'm going to do it as long as the Lord gives me breath, as long as it gives me strength. And so I'm both encouraged and, and concerned uh, with my loss of my friend, and you and I would be the same way. He's saying here, then look, life is short. But then he says something. Now, so far, this has been interesting, hopefully. But now he gets downright radical. And you're not going to like it. Okay? At first, anyway. Hope you get happier later. He says, so that from now on, verse 29, those who have wives should be as though they had none. And those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away. What a radical, radical statement that he says here. 
Now, I want to say here what he is not saying, and then I want to go on to say what I think he is saying. He is not saying, if you are married, you should go ahead and live as if you're single. Matter of fact, unfortunately, some of the pioneer missionaries of modern time, uh, in the 1800s and late 1700s, even going into the early 1900s, took this verse, and a few others like it, and said a married man should live no differently as a missionary than a man who is single. And many of them, some of the people that, that biographies are written about as great missionaries, got married, separated from their wife. She went in one part of the world, he went in another part. Many of them had children that the, these famous missionaries never raised and never saw, except on very, very rare occasions. One of the most famous of those missionaries was away from his family for over 20 years, never saw him once. Came home once to England, visited for one afternoon, and left for the next rest of his life on a verse like that. This is not what it's teaching. Scripture elevates marriage on every page that it deals with it. Scripture says marriage is God's gift. Scripture says our lives should be as married people should be, should be lived to the glory of God. Marriage is a wonderful thing and nowhere in Scripture does it teach anything like that. So he's not saying abandon your spouse to serve Christ. Secondly, he's not saying that we can't cry during hard times. Um, Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. Jesus himself wept. We're told in Romans to weep with those who weep. So weeping is a good thing at times. So he's not saying we shouldn't cry over sorrowful things. He's not saying we shouldn't cry when we lose great things. He's not saying we shouldn't cry over sin. Or that we should rejoice. He's not saying do not rejoice. Scripture says clearly that we should rejoice. One of the facets of the, of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Paul says in Philippians, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. So he's not saying don't just be a stoic. Don't ever be happy. Don't ever have any joy. And finally, he's not saying don't buy anything. Where it says there are those who buy as though they do, did not possess. He's not saying you should never possess anything. That's impossible, first of all. Everybody has to have something, right? So he's not saying any of those things, okay? So what is he saying? He is saying, I think this. Notice, notice the phrase he uses every time before he goes to a new section. He says, as those who, okay? So that the form of, uh, look, look at verse 30. And those who weep as though they did not weep. He is saying, these things that come into our life should not frame who we are. They should not determine who we are. We don't live for these things. We live for a higher cause, a higher value. We live for Christ. And these things, while they might be good and useful and helpful at times, are secondary. And Christ is paramount. That, I think, is the key of what he's saying. Now, this is radical, but no more radical than what Jesus said. I want you to go back to the book of Matthew for a moment. Uh, what, what do we do with these radical statements? Matthew chapter 16. Well, I'm afraid sometimes we just ignore them. Or we push them out of our thinking. We read it, move on. But let's not do that right now. Let's read not only Paul's radical statement, but let's read, read what Jesus said. 
uh, and uh, see how radical they are. Look at this in verse 24 of chapter 16. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever wishes uh, loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? This is the same idea that Paul's giving. You know, what, what does it matter if you gain all this, but you lose your soul? If you're going to be a follower of me, he says, what is, this is radical, isn't it? If you're going to follow me, you don't just show up at church. You don't just read your Bible once in a while. You don't just do this or that or the other. If you're going to follow me, you deny yourself. And you take up your cross. And you follow me. Now go back to chapter 10. That's kind of general. But chapter 10, Jesus gets very specific of Matthew 10. When he says here in verse 37, in a similar context, he says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. What a radical statement. Jesus is calling for a full, sold-out following of him. That nothing gets in the way. You see, here's, our, here's a problem we have. We tend to, to embrace the gifts rather than the giver. We tend to get fixated on all the things God has brought into our lives and, we, and, and when we do that, we forget about the one who has given that to us. And no more is that true anywhere in the world than America. Think, think about America right now. We, we have a pretty easy lot in life as Christians, don't we? If not careful, we have kind of sort of an a armchair Christianity. Uh, it's fairly easy. Uh, demands little. Uh, it's convenient. We can give the Lord a couple hours a week of our time and a tip here and there financially, and uh, we're off to, off to the races. We're doing good. But that is not biblical Christianity. That's an Americanized form. Matter of fact, a lot of the stress right now that we find among Christians like ourselves, much of the concern is that we're going to lose our liberties. Well, maybe we should. I'm not wanting that. But is it possible the Lord will shake us up and say, you know, you've been trusting in all this stuff I've given you, and those things have distracted you from me. Now, I'm not voting for that. I'm certainly not praying for that. But I've got a hunch that if the Lord decides to take away all these gifts that we have gotten, that we've gotten so used to, from financial to, to, to freedoms to livelihood, to all these things, I've got a hunch that a lot of people would be walking with God in greater devotion than anything we're doing right now. I don't know. Could be wrong. I don't think so. I'm back at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and I think verse, verse 35 kind of wraps it up, summarizes it pretty well. He says, I say this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. I would encourage you to walk away with that thought today. That you would not only underline it in your Bible, you underline it in your heart. What is he after with these Corinthians? They're distracted by everything. 
They're fighting with one another. They're, they're wrapped up in ethnic issues. They're wrapped up in, in financial issues. They're wrapped up in this, that, and the others, marriage issues. And they're all distracted, and they're, they're trying to slug their way through life. Sound familiar? And he says, here's what God is after. Not necessarily this or that or the other. God is after undistracted devotion. So that these gifts that he gives us, and he's given us so many, are not the things we live for. They're not the things we grasp. They're not the things we chase after. How many Americans are thinking, if only I could change my job, if only I could change my mate, if only I could, could retire, if only I had more money, if only, if only, if only, then I could serve Christ better. And instead, we get all distracted with those things and we don't. And, and the, the big message of 1 Corinthians 7 is that your circumstances that you're in do not determine your devotion to Christ. Whatever your circumstance, you can be devoted to, to him. You can walk with him, whatever those circumstances might be. And that's the big message. That's the big takeaway from this chapter. Now, he's talking about marriage. So we'll look at that real quickly. He says, going on down to uh, verse uh, 31 or verse 32, I want you to be free from concern. We'll look at this more next week. He, he's, he's concerned about their marriage getting in the way of, of devotion to God. He wants to talk about that. Matter of fact, he gives us six different reasons why a person might not want to get married. I'm not even going to mention those. You can go look them up. But there are two reasons why you should get married, he says. One of them is chapter 7, verse 2, is if you don't have the gift of singleness, that this is a marriage is a, is a means of handling some of those uh, sensual temptations. But the one I want to finish up on is verses 14 and 16. Marriage is designed, a Christian marriage, is designed to become your, your greatest platform for Jesus Christ, for most people. Look at verse 14. He says this, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. It's talking there about having a marriage where one is saved and one's not. Verse 16, For how do you know, O wife, whether you will, will save your husband? And how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? And then, uh, uh, I don't know, should I read the rest of verse 14 at the bottom end? For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they're holy. So I want to put all that together real quickly and say this. For most Christians, the greatest platform you'll ever have for Jesus Christ will be your home. Why did the Lord give you children? And what is your desire for your children? What's your plan for your children? What, what, are, you, what are you aiming for your children to be? Do you want them to have good jobs and good education and good, good finances and, and good success and all those things? Nothing wrong with that. But this passage of Scripture and throughout the Bible tells us something very different. It tells us that our goal should be for our children that they walk with God. And there's no better platform, no better opportunity to train some young people, to train some people to walk with God than in your home. You've got them for 20 years. Let me ask you this. How, now this might be convicting, so you, look, you listen up. How intentional are you 
If you're a parent with children, how intentional are you in raising them to follow Jesus Christ? What are you doing intentionally to help them walk with Christ? Are you letting the church help out? Are you bringing your kids to the youth programs? Are you involving them in the prayer time and the, the Bible studies and the, the retreats and stuff that, that will infuse from our perspective, the church perspective, God's word in their lives? Or do you, gotta, or do you have them too busy in sports and music and all the other things that don't really matter and will not matter in a couple of years after high school? Are you at home talking to them about Christ? Are you opening up the word? Are you praying with them? Are you, are you involved? Are you, are you setting the example of Christ-likeness in their lives? So they look at you and say, that's what a Christian adult should look like. Are you fellowshipping with other Christians so that they, they're finding out from a body perspective that there's a church of people that, not just my family, but a church of people that love Jesus Christ. They're not perfect people. People sometimes say, oh, they're hypocrites over there. Yes, there are, every one of us to some degree. But they're not perfect people, but they're followers of Jesus Christ. Are you exposing your children to adults who follow Jesus Christ? Are you exposing them to, to youth that follow Jesus Christ? Are you talking to them at home about Jesus Christ? Are you opening the word up to them about Jesus Christ? See, one of the greatest opportunities we'll ever have for Christ, for most people, is in our home. And marriage provides that opportunity as we have our children. And so Paul has a lot to say about marriage. And Scripture has a lot more. But here's the final key for today. Should you get married or should you not get married if you're single? Why do people get married today? in America. If you ask 100 people, well, I love him. I want to be happy. I'm lonely. I need a companion. I need security. Those are all okay. They're Americanized. They're not biblical. What is the main reason for marriage, or really for any relationship? A.W. Tozer said it well. Here's what he said. It seems to me the will of God that husband and wife together may become what neither one could be apart and alone. In other words, the number one reason for marriage is for two people to come together in such a way that they can serve Christ better as a couple than as two singles. And so if you're single here and you're thinking about the future, you look for somebody that will help you walk with Christ you look for somebody to help that, that you can minister with Jesus Christ. Yeah, she's cute. She'll get ugly someday. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe not. It's, beauty is, is vain, right? And vanishing, that's biblical, so we'll stay with that. It, it, okay, so she's, so she's cute. So, so he has some money. So he can throw a football 50 yards. So he can, so he, blah, 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 blah. Who cares? All right? So I'm already in trouble with everybody, so I'll just keep on going. Look, do they love Jesus Christ? Do they want to follow Jesus Christ? Do they want to lead in the home through, with their children through Jesus Christ? Friends, that's what matters. And that's what matters at your work. Do you want to be an example of Jesus Christ? In this church, do you want to help people walk with Jesus Christ? 
Dude, this is a crazy chapter, isn't it? Every time I talk, say to Marcia, why am I preaching on chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians? <laughs> it's a hard chapter. But it's God's word. But if we, we back up and look at the big picture, undevoted, un undistracted devotion to Jesus Christ. That's all it's about, folks. All I have is Christ. Pray with me. Father, we come to you today thanking you for Jesus Christ, Lord, and we can be devoted to the Savior of the universe. And no matter what happens in our circumstances, our ups and our downs, or whatever else, Lord, we, we have you. And we give you praise for that, Father, with all of our hearts. May we walk with you in undistracted devotion. We pray in your name. Amen.